Greetings. Welcome to Revolution Live, the June edition. And this is a very special one for me as an ex kind of musician to hook up with a fellow musician, much more of a musician than I ever was, is, is quite a joy. Adam, welcome to Revolution Live. How are you, my friend? Uh, very well. Thank you, Roger. Thanks a lot. Pleased to be. Very good. Yeah, well, we're very pleased you're here, actually. So whether you're watching live or whether you're listening to this on the podcast, you're warmly welcome. If you are live, you're going to have a chance to answer some questions, which would be nice. Um, we'd like to have that interaction. We'd like to have our audience uh, joining in. So that will be good um, when we're in that position. But we're going to be talking about Parkopedia. We're going to be talking about your knowledge and experience in and around electric vehicles. I'm sorely tempted to talk really about the... Uh, Strange Death of Liberal England, which was your band, um, which ironically was, I think, out there performing at, at, you know, big events supporting Manic Street preachers and things like this in 2007, which coincidentally is the year that Parkopedia set up for business. So both they and you and myself, we, we go back a long way, don't we, Adam? Yeah, we, we do. We do indeed. That's right. And if anyone's watching this in, in grayscale, then you'll see the <laughs> gradually turning from a <laughs> from a bright orange to a to a to a autumn gray <laughs> yeah good okay well listen what we're going to try and cram into this hour or a bit less now because i've been rabbiting on um is how charge point operators and e-mobility service providers so that cpos and esmps let's try not to use too many acronyms by the way adam because i know you know them inside out I even now still get confused by them, and perhaps anybody watching or listening might wonder, what are you talking about? So if we can preface any of our acronyms with with w what it is, that, that would be good. Um, but what we want to talk about is how, you know, we can leverage the data collaborations between those two aspects of running electric vehicles, charging electric vehicles. I know you've got a wealth of experience. We've met, well, what was it now, two years, three years ago in um, Munich at the... Um, uh iaa was it was it not yeah that was the last time yeah that was yeah 2021 in a yeah. blimp or something i think something you that's strange occurrences always happen <laughs> we've got to tell people about that we absolutely met on an airship we flew over berlin in a zeppelin now there aren't many people that can lay claim to that you know um i'd always wanted to be in zeppelin but the band rather than the airship but that's the closest i've ever got so there you are anyway look just to remind everybody if you are live you're going to be able to ask questions we'll come to that in about 20 minutes or so if we can bring you up onto the stage so you appear live um that's quite exciting we'll try and do that if we can't we'll just uh, pop your question up and, and either you can get to ask it in person or, or ask it on your behalf um but what what we always like to start with, Adam, if you're not familiar with what we do, is um, the answers to a poll question we put up uh, a week or two ago. And the question was, EV drivers, what's the biggest challenge when parking your electric vehicle and using, using public charging infrastructure? So in order of uh, popularity, if you like, to that question, 9% of people said, well, limited payment options are the biggest challenge. Uh, the others, please specify, was people saying things like charging hogs, um, just not very intuitive apps, you know, all that sort of thing. And then the runner-up was unclear pricing. You know, how much is this going to cost me? Difficult to work out, you know, in terms of a moment, an hour, or whatever it is. But the number one issue was availability of charging stations. And increasingly, of course, you know, there's many more people as 
EV adoption comes along, where people not only need to park, they want to park and charge. They want that opportunity, even if it's for an hour, um, to get a bit of juice. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a DC fast charger, you know, just to get something whilst you're there just makes sense. So that's kind of where we are. That's the that's the poll question then. Let's just get into, just tell us a little bit about you then, Adam. I, I've given the game away about that you were a pop star, um, but give us a quick run through as to what you've done after the pop stardom, please. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So, yes, yeah, so I, I did spend some uh, years of my youth, you're right, screaming through microphones rather than talking into them and, on podcasts. Um, and those were fun days, but ultimately uh, you, you don't really do too much to change the world and you don't also uh, make any money with it, probably more importantly. So um, at some, some point when, when that uh, career avenue exhausted itself, I moved to, to Germany, moved to Berlin, and I got involved in the startup scene there. So that was around about 2012. And um, very fortunately, looking back now, one of the hype curves in the startup scene at that point in time was electric vehicles. And uh, this, for me, was something which was completely new. So, you know, there's people, some people around, of course, or many people who have been involved in, in it longer than I have. But for me, 2011, 2012 was when I first started hearing about EVs. And I found this whole technology completely fascinating. Uh, it's always been you know, I've always uh, been someone that's been frustrated by cars and the pollution that comes from cars. And so this idea that actually you could get EVs at that point in time was was a huge moment for me. And, um, you know, that was a, probably a little bit of a false dawn back then. So a lot of the people were excited back in 2011, 2012, because we were seeing what was happening in, in Israel, for example, with Better Place and battery swapping and all of the money going into that and thinking that this new dawn of uh, EV is around the corner. Uh, it wasn't quite there then, but it did set the ball in motion. And I think a lot of people who are still involved in the EV industry today came into it at that point in time with that enthusiasm. Um, so the part of the, which I played in that was uh, along with my colleague at the time, Jakob van Sonnefeld, who's now founder of Def Power. We co-founded the company Plug Surfing together, which started off as a very basic map of where to find charging points. So we, we had this understanding that people wanted to charge electric vehicles, but there wasn't really any central database about where to find uh, charging points at that point in time. So still an issue, which is actually not solved today, but we were trying to figure that out back in 2012. And the USP we had, you know, we didn't really have business acumen. We didn't really have investment. We didn't have anything. The only thing that we really had that was different to what others were trying to do was that we had a European perspective because I was British uh, living in Germany. Uh, my co-founder was Dutch living in Germany. So we were able to tap into the different markets quite easily and build up a European database rather than a country-based one. And, and we, we got some momentum with that and ended up crowdfunding some money, uh, had business plans, which had massive hockey sticks. Of course, we were going to be billionaires by 2015 <laughs> on our private islands. That, that didn't didn't quite work out. But um, a few things which did come out of that was we realized at that point in time, so around about 2013, 2014, that finding a charging point at that point in time in public was, was an issue in itself. But perhaps the bigger issue or the, maybe the bigger opportunity was once you get there, how do you pay for that charging point? So there wasn't the, the concept which we have today of roaming was that existed back then, of course, but wasn't really uh, so accepted on the market. So roaming being where you can, where different apps can charge at different networks uh, and rather than having a separate app for each network. So we set about 
connecting up all of the different charging point operators in Europe, building this into a system which we then integrated with a payment system so that you could find charging points, which was our initial goal, and then also pay for the charging session when you were there. And, and at the time, that was incredibly hard work. We had to work you know, very, very hard to fight many battles, overcome many details. But when I look back on it now, it seems that there was really big progress very quickly. And the more charging networks which we built up, the more car companies got involved, the more other charging point operators wanted to get involved. And we ended up creating this flywheel effect where we became then relatively central to a number of car companies using our product and mm. many different uh, charging point operators that, that wanted to get the users which we were, which, which we were, could bring to them. And we sold that company in 2018 to Fortum, worked there for a bit, and then moved on from working for a Nordic utility. And now uh, I'm very happy to be still a part of the revolution, as you call it, working for EV for Parkopedia. Well, that's that's perfect. Thank you. That's a, that's a lovely run through, and you're absolutely part of the revolution because you're on Revolution Live. So there you are. <laughs> absolutely. Well, listen. Here's one of the things that happens in any kind of disruption. Some challenging things happen. It's disruptive. You know, people's business models get challenged and have to change. The new kids on the block come in, and and yes, they disrupt. But given the kind of exponential nature of a lot of disruptions. Uh, and, and we're seeing that, I think, particularly with, with electric vehicles. Uh, it, you could arguably say that it would be faster, the adoption rate, if it weren't supply constrained. So in many ways, without getting into that whole arena of batteries and so on and so forth, um, you could argue it could be going faster than it already is. But can I just sort of go through a, th- a few things for you then? How How can you anticipate growth? How do you model, if you like, where you're going to see growth in either a particular city, across a country, etc. Um, unless it's a commercial secret and you just say, Roger, I can't talk to you about that. Um, how are you anticipating the pickup of EVs and the need to park and charge? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. So how do you model growth? So something which, so if I, if I take a step back and think a bit more about my, my plug surfing days, then I think that we achieved quite a lot by trying to model growth. So we built up our, what I mean by that is we built up, and I'm going to give you a, a mixed answer rather than rather than okay. one clear answer. So I think, you know, you can always try to model growth by looking at different factors that come into play, right? So uh, I think that if we look back at Norway, for example, there, were, there will have been uh, signs quite early on that Norway was going to be a leader in EV. So if you look at the mm-hmm. government policies, which you know, they were bringing in, so that, that might be policy-led then. Uh, and you can also look at Norway and see, for example, that it does not have its own traditional legacy car industry. So there isn't going to be that political infighting, which sometimes slows down EV, which we sometimes mm. in, in Germany with the FDP uh, recently uh, putting a few blockades in, into EU law, for example, stopping uh, EVs being really being the, the, the central point of EU policy. So you can try model growth based on policy. You can also try to you know, model things such as looking at uh, how big is a country, should we go into a certain country or a certain city, which, is, which has a built-up infrastructure already. 
But in the end, when you are a startup, you need to be much more opportunist than that. So you have a spreadsheet which surely has a business plan in it. But you also need a, a real sense of opportunity because that is how uh, startups are able to exist because you are able to quickly respond to the disruption. So Plug Surfing is a company, and I quite often think this. We back then were two guys, and I've mentioned, you know, I was a former musician. Jakob, my, my co-founder, was a history graduate at the time. We had very little in terms of traditional business acumen. We weren't MBAs or anything like that, but we were able to move quite quickly and we were able to take risks. We were able to make the most of the disruption that came from, in this instance, two major industries. So the car industry and the energy industry being disrupted and not knowing what to do or where to go. And we could be quick and get in there, get in the cracks and exploit that and build up a business model, which is something we did successfully. So then you sort of have this Brownian motion of where to find opportunity. And in the end, a lot of these things are probably out of your control as well, because the biggest thing that changed it for us, and I think for EV in general in Europe, wasn't anything to do with policy or it wasn't anything that was planned, but was rather just Dieselgate, which happened in 2015, which was something which wasn't supposed to be, uh, you know, which was completely unplanned, right? So Volkswagen got caught red-handed with Dieselgate. That was never part of their plan. That was certainly never part of anyone else's plan. And that, for me, really changed overnight then the pace of adoption with it. Yeah. So Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and I know I'm banging on a bit here, but I haven't answered your question yet. So if we come now into, say, the Parkopedia side of things, how do we then model growth in terms of bringing parking and charging together? Because that's what we're doing. So we're seeing that a number of charging locations are being built in parking lots, and therefore there's quite a unique challenge that needs to be solved, which is how does a driver get to a charging point when there might be a parking barrier there and things like that? Then what we typically do is ask your audience to do a poll and find out what their biggest issue is with EV charging, right? And they come back and say that the biggest issue is availability of charging. So what we can know from that is, okay, well, we need more charging points. That's one of the answers. That's why the government is putting in, you know, governments in different countries are trying to increase by 10 the amount of charging points which are on the streets by 2030. And where are those charging points going to go? They're not going to go on public spaces because there isn't enough of it. So they're going to go in semi-private places, which then you know, typically when you're talking about cars, is parking lots. And that means then that you have that problem with you know, parking barriers. Do I have to pay for parking? In other words, the driver needs to know more than just the details about the charging location. They also need to know all of the stuff around the parking restrictions and the parking data as well. And then when you look at it from that perspective, it becomes fairly obvious to bring the two together and make sure that you have a fully informed driver who has parking and charging. Mm, right. Well, th- th- there's there's a lot in there. By the way, just to let you know who we've got, and I'd encourage anybody to put your name in the chat box, put in who you are, where you're from, please. Uh, and if certainly you've got a question, let us know. So we've got uh, Daniel. I'm not sure where Daniel is from. From, but let's have a look. Henry's from the Netherlands. Dan, another Dan from Toronto. Oh, Daniel's from Essex. Um, Nigel's from Spain. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there you go. It starts to be all over the world. But to come back to your point there, can I just come into some basics then? I mean, I've been driving EVs for, for a while now. Um, I started off with a big electric van, by the way, in 2007. And there was no public charging at that point. Um, that was a very different world. Anyway, um, can we discuss like the common challenges EV drivers are facing when they try to find a charging station? I know from myself, there's a few apps that I use that, that I like. I'm not going to start going through names now but i do use a few of those if i'm really honest i haven't really used the parking app i haven't used parkopedia so i'm hoping by the end of this session you will have convinced me to do that by the way um so what does what does parkopedia do to address the challenges that 
all of the EV drivers, myself included, face at the moment. Why am I going to come onto your platform and use Parkopedia? To be blunt, to please please do uh, be blunt, and please do come onto our platform. <laughs> And please do bang on. You said you were banging on earlier. The whole idea of this is to bang on. So please. <laughs> I'll bang away. All right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so that's also quite a multifaceted question. So let's look at, first of all, what the challenges are around like EV drivers have. And then we can see mm -hmm. how Parkopedia and, and you know, what we're doing is then, then addressing those challenges. So we, we need to, first of all, uh, think about who the EV driver is. And that's quite a complex question because, you know, we, we always look at EV drivers. Quite often, I think people make the mistake of saying, uh, just talking about EV drivers on the whole. But the fact is, EV drivers are people and an EV driver in a Mercedes is probably different to an EV driver in, in a more, um, in a cheaper car, right? So you might have also these yeah. experiences which are expected. But there's a few things that, that bring them together. And we need to understand now that we're shifting to a different type of consumer for EV or a different type of electric car driver. And that person is going to respond to the challenges of, of charging a little bit differently. So whereas, you know, you and I, we can talk about the old days of EV and look at our gray hairs, et cetera, <laughs> and feel very clever about that. But the fact is, is the majority of EV drivers today aren't coming from that school of thought. And the ones in the future are the ones who are, they may want to buy an EV, but increasingly there's also going to be a, a real government push and a policy push for people to buy EVs. So in other words, as we get to mass adoption, we find people who are no longer pioneers and thinking, oh, I really want to be you know, future thinking and buy a Tesla. But people who are thinking, well, I need to buy a car uh, because of subsidies or because of laws, etc. I have to buy an EV and I don't really want to, but I have to. And that comes in with a huge behavioral change because however much we try to play it down, it is very different owning an EV compared to using an internal combustion engine car, like how you yeah. charge it, how far you can travel, when you charge, where you park, all that kind of stuff. So what type of challenges then is that driver going to have? Bearing in mind that when we have a problem with a charging session, we love it because we can put it on LinkedIn and boost our follower numbers, but other people that just need to get to school, they need to get to their job, et cetera, they just want a public charging session to be as simple as it possibly can be, right? Because 30% of homes in Europe don't have any private parking space. So you need to rely on public charging. I myself, I also just charge my car 100% in, in public because I live in, a, in an apartment. So then it becomes essential for me that from the car, so forget about your phone for a minute, but from the car, the one thing that you're in and the one thing that needs to be charged and has the battery, you need to know the range that you're going to have. And then you're also going to need to know where the charging point is. You're going to need to be able to trust that that charging point exists and that it actually works, right? Which sounds odd if you don't drive an electric car. Anyone who does drive will know that it's a problem. You're going to need, to, hopefully going to need to know uh, how long you're going to have to wait to use that charging point. And when you get there, you're going to need to know that you can actually pay for charging. And all of these things sound like incredibly obvious stuff, which if you're just thinking of a petrol car, you think, well, that, that's obvious. I can do all that anyway. But the fact is, is in EV, all of those things are challenged today. So a lot of the time, the data which you find in an app or on a website or in the car itself of where that charging point is, that's incorrect, right? There might be a hmm. number of reasons why that data is incorrect, but you know, often the, the reason is because the installer has recorded the coordinates wrong, for example, when they put the charging point in and no one has ever corrected that. So you might think the charging point is at one place, but actually it's 50 meters down the road. That doesn't sound like a big problem, but if you've got a route planner in the car, that's actually a huge problem for someone that is uncomfortable with charging a car in the first instance. When you get there, you're going to need to know what does the charging point look like? Uh, how do I know it's going to work? Is it available? 
And then also, how much is it going to cost to charge? That's a big issue that your respondents had in the poll as well. Yeah, and then absolutely. how can I actually pay for it? Uh, absolutely. And, and yeah. I mean, the, the reason the, the reason being, right, is because unlike petrol cars in the EV industry, we have this, and especially in Europe, in North America, it's a little bit different, but especially in Europe, we have this very uh, low barrier to entry for what we call the EMSPs, which is in the apps uh, or the charging cards, there's a very low barrier to entry for someone to come into that market. So there is a huge array of different EMSPs, different charging providers. And all of those mm. have independent pricing plans. They all negotiate different rates with the charging point operator, uh, which they then put a different margin on top of. And before you know it, you have this huge jungle of pricing, which can vary. You know, if you look at websites, one charging session, could the difference could be between 10 euros and 50 euros for the same charging session at the same charging point with the same car. But because of the EMSP you're using, it's you know, it's, it makes yeah, it makes well, so sorry, just just to cut across, but yeah, sure. this is the problem. It, it's such a jungle. It's such a complicated thing. And and again, if you've got an EV, you've typically got I don't know at least a dozen apps, maybe some cards in your wallet as well. Um, and just trying to reconcile all of this, I just wondered whether things like you know plug and charge, you know, th that aims to simplify the process of charging. Um, there are a few apps floating around now. I've been trialing, well, I say trialing. People have given me one to say, try this out, tell us what you think. Um, there's one by a company that, that sells used cars. I'm not going to shout out the name, actually, because then I feel like I'm being a, what do you call it, influencer. I'm not an influencer. I'm a storyteller. But I, I've had a card that said, you can use this at multiple different charge point operators. You know, it's got your credit card details in it as such. Just sort of tap it and go. And I was a bit, mm, I bet it won't work. It did. I've used it, I don't know, four or five times. Works. So consolidation of this to a point where it's simple and your explanation there of many of these things, I think to people who haven't yet moved over to EVs, they, they listen to it aghast. They kind of think, hang on, when I get fuel in the moment, I just, okay, I can't get fuel at home, big disadvantage, but when I'm out and about, I could just pull up, open up the flap, put the gun in, fill it up, you know, go and pay, job's done. There's none of this you know, what's going on at the back end stuff and all of that other nonsense. I mean, for a lot of people, this is what we've got to try and get to a point of doing it is, is to massively simplify. Um, I, I don't know whether our audience are EV drivers at the moment or whether they're, they're people thinking about it or in typically business people in and around the industry. So can you give people a sense of, oh, I'm going to use the word hope, that a lot of what you've described, Adam, is going to get consolidated over the next, let's say, one to two to three years, where it's all going to get a lot simpler because it's not at the moment. So, yeah, absolutely. So we, we need to be a bit careful in the words, uh, using the word consolidation, I would say, because we took, typically we would <laughs> in EV, we, we talk okay. about consolidation in terms of like maybe business consolidation. So our, mm. we have this huge fragmentation of charging point operators, you know, there's about 2,000 charging point operators in Europe alone, right? Let alone what you then have in the US and, and, and North America and, and all the rest around the world. So uh, I don't know if that, as we get more public funding, so the, the industry is now getting flooded with public money, right? Wherever you go, the billions going into yeah. building up this infrastructure to so that your listeners can get better availability of charging. So that's probably going to end up with more fragmentation of the market rather than consolidation. But then... What Parkopedia is then doing, and the reason that you know I'm so into this topic, is because 
we are then going piece by piece through the user journey, as I've just described it, and making it much more user-friendly. And we're doing that then so that we can pass this on to our customers, who are the, the car customers. And in the end, the data which we supply and the products which we supply should end up in the head units and navigation units of the car, just like we currently do for parking. So what that means is, just quickly run through it, is it means that we are we are building up connections what we call the OCPI connections. So that's the the API, which companies like PlugSurfing or Parkopedia and, and these third-party companies, they connect to the charging point operators with. So we're building up these OCPI connections, which gives us all the data. We then... Can you just, remand- can you just tell us... Sorry to drop... Ca- carry on, but can you just tell us what o- OCPI stands for, please? Yeah, Open Charge Point Interface. Got it. Okay. I think that's what it is. Yeah, And then, so we use those connections, we get the data, and then crucially, we Parkopedia then know the value of manually checking everything, right? Which sounds like a huge task because, you know, if you're looking just in Europe alone, there's 500,000 charging points in the US, there's about 200,000. So there's huge amounts of work to be done to manually check everything, which is what we do, uh, make sure the data is correct. We then are able to show you the availability of the charging point uh, in time. We have data scientists who are able to work out you know, wait times. So you know, can we predict when a charging point will become available if it is not now? And then we are also integrating payment providers as well so that from the car you can pay for the charging session from the head unit of your car, right? So mm. trying to simplify every single bit of the public charging journey so that the idea is a driver should be able to get into a car, find that charging point as easily as they could find a gas station, plug in their car, pay for charging, and then you know move on and not have to think any more about it. Right. Uh, a question's come up. Um, I'd encourage more, please, by the way, uh, to our audience, but I love this question. I wish I'd asked it. Um, from Henry, Henry van Erkel. He says, do you have any experience with or solutions for solving connection issues inside underground parking areas? Oh, Adam, the times I found myself struggling with an app or having a problem in doing it, like I, this has happened to me several times um, at Westfield uh, in London where I've, I've had a problem and then I can't get a signal and I'm thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. Can you give Henry and, my, and myself, and I'm sure plenty of others, um, s- some sense of, you know, how's that going to get resolved? Yeah, so that's a, a, a valid point. Um, so we that's something which I would see more as being uh, integrated into the hardware of the, the charging point. So we would integrate yeah. or we can work with companies that do do that. So Parkopedia doesn't. I'll give a free plug to two companies I do know who are dealing with this. And that is, I think, Hey Charger, I believe, out of Benelux region is providing solutions for this. And then also in the US, I think a company called Zeal, X-E-A-L, is also dealing with this. And I think it's based around, say, Bluetooth and maybe sometimes some blockchain technology and, and tokenization, et cetera. But so, uh, yeah, that's a, there's definitely a valid point, right? Because it's not just underground car parks, but also, you know, Every apartment building has has a has an indoor car park, which probably spotty Wi-Fi. And if you're relying on a Wi-Fi connection to charge your car, then um, you know that's just prone to to error. So I think that's a, mm. there's, there's definitely a good market for those for those solutions. Yes, and given the journey we're all on, disruptive technologies. Let's not forget, you know. Um, do just that. Uh, the auto industry is what 130 years old. You could arguably say properly. 
kind and not 100 years old in terms of volume and, and scale. So we've had plenty of time, you know, all of that time to build up both the vehicle park, the vehicle proposition, the fueling network, you know, because when Henry Ford first started kicking out Model T Fords, there weren't petrol stations everywhere. Everyone was saying, well, where do we fill up? How do we make it work? They did it at home, ironically. Um, wouldn't encourage anyone to do that with a petrol diesel car, by the way. Um, not a good idea. Um, but are you working with the OEMs at all? Are you, are you, we'll go through a few parts of the kind of estate, if you like. But when it comes to car companies, are you at the moment that you can tell us about, you could, that's public, um, working with any of the car companies anywhere in the world? Yeah, so Parkopedia uh, as a whole works with almost every car company. And, and that's a reason why all of the things which I'm mentioning about EV, uh, every EV driver will probably recognize those problems. And there's a lot of people trying to fix it. The reason that you know I wanted to, to do this with Parkopedia is because I believe that the company has those deep integrations with the OEMs existing, right? And that's something which is really difficult to, to get. So working with car companies is always very, very hard work because they have very strict ways of working, very tough KPIs, very strict procurement departments, etc. They, they are difficult partners to work with. So getting in there and working with them in the first place is a big achievement and then keeping them happy is, is, is sometimes remarkable. So Parkopedia has been able to do that. <laughs> we work with, um, you know, with BMW, uh, Mercedes in, in Europe and North America. We work with Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, Kia, all of the big names pretty much Parkopedia works with, but mostly on a payment integration and a parking layer. So the EV product, which we've got coming to market is something which we are building up now and slowly getting out there. We've got one deal with one major European OEM. Uh, I don't think uh, I'm really at liberty to mention that name on the call. Um, and then there's there's multiple other ones coming in the, in the pipeline as well. So that was a round of a business answer that yes, we are. Yeah. No, 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 no. Look, it, it's a great answer. And I, I think some of the words and phrases you use there about the challenge of working with OEMs um, are probably well known to quite a few people on this call. Some of it is to do with their structures. You know, I, I, may, I can say this. I know you'd be too polite to say it, but, you know, they're very bureaucratic. They can be very slow, but equally they can be very careful and very cautious and very focused on getting it right without having expensive mistakes. Uh, so, you know, depends which way you look at it. Um, the intriguing thing I have in my mind now is when you went through that list and I've just called up your website so I can see all of the people that you're working with, can't see any Chinese manufacturers there. Now, given that the Chinese export onslaught is just beginning with, you know, NEO, BYD, you know, many others, is there anything coming in that regard or is that a bit too sensitive to talk about on, on, on a call like this? So, so I would say that's a bit, probably a bit too sensitive, but what I would okay, say fair enough. is, but what I would say is we take the Chinese manufacturers incredibly seriously as uh, partners or potential partners. So we have offices in, in Shanghai as well. So Parkopedia is a global company. Um, and we have a Chinese team that are in, in talks with all of those companies. Um, and I think, you know, personally, and this is, I don't think this is a controversial view at all. I think it's, we probably all share this view is I think, you know, we are going to see much more of the Chinese OEMs, right? So the, the, the pace of change and the advantages, some of the advantages that the Chinese OEMs have being able to, uh, to, to catch that momentum of the switch to EV without having all of the legacy products and, and companies and the politics that comes with that behind them, I think is huge. And, you know, it's a tired cliche now where we talk about the, 
car being a the smartphone on wheels, right? I don't think that's an original thought, but it it does go quite well when you think about, you know, who is it that actually makes the smartphones nowadays? Uh, and uh, you know, it it is a battery, it is software, it is a design. Um, this this is things which which China is good at, and China will execute yeah. on. And I think we're going to see a huge shift there in the uh, automotive world. Well, well, absolutely. And what you've just described is a phrase I think has kind of softened, hasn't been, doesn't get mentioned so much, but it is the Internet of Things. It is how devices and processes and services and products all connect up, connect up in a way that makes the world, you know, it's all digitalization, makes the world a lot easier. I mean, I'm old and crusty enough to remember when most business was transacted with bits of paper and it got posted to people or you faxed pieces of paper to people. And uh, do you know what? It worked, but it was terribly slow and cumbersome. And, you know, I love the way how well things can work now with all of that. So, yeah, that's absolutely good. And I just want to read people because, like I said, I caught up your website because it's pretty impressive, this stuff. Um, you know, over the last 10 years, Parkopedia has successfully created a suite of services for B2B customers, establish winning presence around the world. Um Detailed information on over 90 million parking spaces in 90 countries. And that includes car parks, street parking, and private driveways. And you've got added features like pre-booking service, which allows drivers to reserve parking online and through a mobile app, real-time parking availability, the ability to park online, some of which you've been talking about. But can I just quickly come to this pre-booking service proposition? Um, yeah, so I was going to ask the question, the pre-booking service of a space how does that work in reality? Because I can understand you can do it technically, but 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 if then I get to that space that I've reserved and someone's on it, what's been going on in that kind of real world scenario of people kind of just, just has there been any algae-bargy, any problems in that? So yeah, re- reservation of EV charges is uh, always a big topic at car companies, right? So yeah, um, I can feel another long answer coming on. So brace yourself. <laughs> no, no, so- tell you the way it is. <laughs> ever since ever since I've been talking to car companies, so OEMs about EV, they've always been interested in how they can get reservations for their customers, right? Because this is also something which you know we're learning day to day now. Speaking to car companies, is you have all of these different OEMs who have very different customer segments. You know, some of them go premium, some of them go mass markets, and the the driving of the car is entirely the, the, the experience in the car matches that that price level of the car, right? So you have a premium car, hopefully you want a premium driving experience. And then the other end of the scale, it's, it's you, you don't care so much about the driving experience. Now, yeah. The funny thing is when you come to charging at the moment, unless you drive a Tesla, and this is why Tesla is so clever, but unless you drive a Tesla, the charging experience is completely democratic. And, and I don't think this was really done by design. It's just that no one's really taking control of it. So you have someone that may be driving you know, a very expensive Mercedes car, and then you have somebody else on the other side who is uh, driving the, the cheapest electric car that you could have. They come to a charging point together. They're probably going to charge at roughly the same speed because of the charger. And one of them is going to, you know, there's not going to be any pecking order in terms of who charges that or how good that charging experience is going to be. And the end result then is that the, the people that buy the premium car are probably going to be disappointed with their charging experience, and that's going to reflect badly on the OEM. So OEMs have always then been looking, I think, at how they can, what control can they have over the charging experience to have it so that it matches, 
you know, the premium quality of the car that, that, that they're providing. And one of the answers which they're coming up with is reservation. But reservation is really tough because as you just quite rightly mentioned, when you reserve a charging point, you need to reserve two things. Number one, the charging point, you need to make sure it works, but also the parking space. And yeah. that's something which can be owned by two completely different people. So charging point might be owned by the local energy company. The parking space might be owned by the local municipality, right? for example. So when it comes to... I think now with more charging points going into parking lots, suddenly we have this opportunity to bring that together because you have a common ownership over the space and the charging point. And that's something which we're looking into now. And we're working with uh, parking providers uh, in North America, as an example, to create these integrations so that you can find a charging point in the car, reserve it from the car, get there and make sure it's reserved. And the way that you can ensure that it's reserved is by integrating into like the enforcement tools which they use. And you know, no one likes to use the word enforcement, but it's necessary in these situations. Make sure that if somebody is parking there and they shouldn't be, then the people that own the, the parking lot are aware of that. You know, They get that information in, in their systems. They're able to go and issue fines. They're able to go and get the car towed away, that sort of thing. So you need to, in order to make reservations work, you need to have a layer of enforcement to make that work. And in private car parks, that's something which you can do now. And that will hopefully start to ease the confidence level that drivers will have in terms of being able to charge up their car when they're not at home, right? Knowing yeah. that they can use it. Yeah, and again, from personal experience, when you go into certainly a lot of uh, multi-story ones, I'm thinking, if I'm honest, particularly of the one at Westfield, very, very big shopping centre, very big parking space, you have a little light above every single par parking spot, um, either red or green, which is very helpful when you're looking down a row of cars to see there is a green you know, location there and you can go on it. And I guess over time, you can have a system where people know then that parking spot is reserved, even though it's empty because it's it's red now again you know you, you can't legislate for everything and you you know you can't do everything in, in in that regard but um can i ask you this question then about we're starting to see some of the manufacturers some of the ones you you sort of alluded to the prestige manufacturers thinking okay i'm going to build my own network mercedes announced it last year and they're bringing it out how do you think this is going to come together this blending of kind of not quite walled gardens, because I think in legislative terms, people aren't allowed to have that walled garden, but they will be able to have that kind of, you know, like you said earlier, that kind of primary, prime sort of service proposition, reservation service proposition. Um, how do you see that playing out over the next few years, Adam? So, um, yeah, that's a good question. You're, you're right. So more OEMs, more of the car companies are getting involved in building up networks themselves. And Mercedes yeah. is one. R Rivian have got one as well. Exactly, yeah. R Rivian have bought theirs out. There's others who have invested into charging point operators, or you've got Ionity, for example, which is a conglomerate of various different German car companies, plus Hyundai. Um, and um, the key thing about all of this infrastructure is that it is an interoperable with all of the other networks. Some of them have come with perks. So I think Audi, for example, are bringing out their Audi hubs where Audi drivers can reserve. Mercedes drivers are doing this because you can reserve. And I think there's a few interesting things about this. So number one, we have to understand that the uh, OEMs don't think ever really planned to build out their own charging networks. They're primarily doing this because uh, they are not satisfied with the jobs that the traditional charging point operators are doing, right? And there's a whole discussion there about whether traditional, the, the pure play CPOs, et cetera, are doing a good job or a bad job. I mean, I'm not, don't want to get into that, but, but the OEMs feel that they need to take this into their own hands. And 
we can look then at seeing how Ford have taken this approach by working closely with Tesla. I think that's incredibly interesting. But in the end, it, it's just more infrastructure for the user. And I think as long as we make sure that the user experience of that infrastructure is coherent, then it's going to benefit the driver regardless of what car you have. So that means that we need to make sure that the plug type is one that works on all cars, right? Which is not an issue we have in Europe, but it's definitely an issue which exists in, in North America. We then need to make sure that the software connections in the backend system, so all of these charging points run on software, software goes wrong, software goes down, goes offline. We need to make sure that the, the connections between all of the different players is also good enough so that the drivers know where the charging points are and the drivers know they can trust the charging points. And hopefully the charging point operators also get more details of the drivers and can forecast demand, et cetera, and help to build out their network. So for me, I think more infrastructure, regardless of where it comes from, is a good thing. We need to push that. The big question is how it all interoperates and how the data is shared between the car companies and the charging point operators. Because often what we find is wherever there is a bad user experience in charging, it's simply because there is not a good enough integration between the energy or the infrastructure side of things and the car companies themselves. And this is sometimes what I feel is missing in the EV user experience. It's these partnerships uh, between the car and the charging infrastructure and how all of these work together and how we all work towards a common goal. And often both sides are blind or a little bit blind to what is happening uh, on the other side of the platform. And I think that causes then quite a lot of issues around, you know, what is the exact charging speed? Is the charging point going to be free? How do I know when I can use that charging point? Or how many cars are on the road and are they going to come to my charging point at a point in time when I can manage it, for example? Can I come to a question from India, from Moira uh, Nalgatla, who says, any plans to extend Parkopedia solutions to the Indian market? You know, we talk a lot about China, but obviously India is a huge country and is on this cusp of potentially, you know, big electric vehicle um, progress. It's had massive progress with two-wheelers and three-wheelers, of course. Let's not forget that. Um, but, but when it comes to other things, what about India, Adam? Yeah, the Indian market is, is going to be massive in terms of EV. And I think, you know, looking at the audience that we've got now on the call, you can see that we're in this really exciting phase where not only is EV uh, becoming maybe a little bit more established in uh, Europe and North America, which is exciting in itself, right? Because it wasn't when we started in this industry. But then furthermore, we can see that the, the tentacles of the EV industry is now going out into these relatively new markets for e-mobility. And India is one of the biggest ones. So I see there's so many passionate charging point operators, so many great EMSPs in the Indian market. I think the user experience is going to be really good in the Indian market. So Indian software teams, you know, they, they have huge experience in working on big projects. They know how to deliver user experiences. I think this is going to be a great success for EV in India. Uh, and then with regards to, to Parkopedia, What's interesting is, is the demand that we often have. So our main mode of operation is as a B2B company working with the OEM partners, so the, the, the car companies. And I think what's interesting is we are absolutely hearing more demand now from our car companies about uh, getting into the Indian market and providing solutions for uh, in-car EV charging uh, in the Indian market. So this is coming. I think it's a great market and absolutely give it, you know, give it five years and we're going to see huge progress in India. And that means that Parkopedia will also then need to be in that market as well, uh, working with, with local partners and making sure that we have a 
good, coherent, unified EV charging experience, which hopefully keeps um, keeps the EV drivers happy. And the drivers of the EV owners, right? That's also an interesting aspect about the Indian EV market is the people that own EVs in, in India at the moment are not necessarily those who drive the EVs because there's a culture of sometimes having a driver. So the users of products is going to be different to the owners of the car, which is something which is quite an interesting take on the Indian market compared to, say, the, the European market. If anyone wants to send any questions, then I can answer. So the question is uh, from Dan is, can you repeat the name of the company you mentioned in North America? So this is just a company which I have heard of. I have no affiliation with, but it's called Zeal, which is spelled with an X, uh, X-E-A-L. Uh, look them up. So I think they've taken a relatively large fundraising round uh, recently, and I'm sure they do great things, but I, I don't know them personally. And then do, um, do we plan to integrate a route planner into the Parkopedia app? So, so with Parkopedia, we currently, at the moment, we don't necessarily see the route planner as our job, but rather it might be a partnership integration that we would have. The reason being is because if you look at EV charging in terms of a demand and supply equation, we provide the supply of the charging infrastructure. So where is the data? How can the driver use that? That's what the information that we would provide. Uh, and then a route planner can pick up on that and also implement that into their service. So with the, um, yeah, I'll answer. There's a few more questions coming in. So um, we work closely with, with EMSPs uh, and there will be some, some press announcements soon, which will show that. So we integrate them into the car, which means that their service then becomes available from the head unit of the car. So you can, you know, pay for charging by tapping on your screen. Uh, you do not need an RFID card and you do not need a mobile phone uh, with an app on, for example, but you can do it from the map in the car. So the question of what is then in it for the EMSP, the answer is that they benefit from that by getting deeper integration into the car itself. And the reason that's attractive for the EMSPs is because not all of them, but a lot of the EMSPs today are not necessarily set up in a way where they can handle working with the demands of large car companies. And many of them do not want to be either. So um, when you set about becoming an EMSP, you need to decide, you know, where is your target? Do you want to be a B2C provider? Do you want to be a B2B provider to fleets? Or do you want to be fully automotive integrated? And, and not many of them make that last choice uh, because it comes with a lot of KPIs. It comes with a lot of certifications, which you need. There's a lot of ISO standards to match. It's very hard work becoming a software provider to a car company, and that's a barrier to entry for them. So we provide that gateway for the EMSPs, bring them right into the central console of the car, which is something which would be unobtainable for them uh, if they didn't work with a partner. So th um, thanks, Heidi, for the question about can we filter taking into account POIs around parking for restaurants? So that's something which would definitely be possible, yeah. Um, question is, do I have any statistics on icing and hogging availability? So I don't have any statistics other than uh, we all know that that is a big problem. And I think um, the thing about EV is it's also not about the statistics, but it's about the perception as well a lot of the time. Because people who are buying an EV, they need to 
buy in on the belief that they would be able to charge their car. So if the first time uh, somebody is hogging a charging point, and, and that doesn't necessarily need to be an ICE, right? It can also be an electric car, which is not charging, but it's plugged in because they've got a free parking spot in some cities. Then that becomes a huge problem, regardless of whether this happens 10 or 20% of the time. The fact is it happens. And we need, I think, more etiquette around charging points and more efficiency in terms of charging and things like blocking fees, which come in in order to make that go away. What I also wanted to, to mention, so I think Roger was about to mention it, is anybody who is at EVS 36 in Sacramento in June, then I will be there and the Parkopedia team will be there. We will be putting on our breakfast event on the Tuesday in two weeks' time at EVS 36. Uh, anybody who wants to come along, then please get in touch. It would be delighted to, to accommodate you there and talk more about uh, Parkopedia, about parking and about EV charging. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, um, Adam, I think uh, even though we, we had some some hurdles along the way, we, we made sure to give some answers. Thank you very much, Adam, for being here. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for, for listening. That was really a joy. Thank you.